Hi, and welcome to True Crime Storytime. I am your host, Ivana Estelle, and I am so ready to record this episode. I've got to tell you, not only is this my like fourth intro take, but I was sick last week, which like pushed off my writing and I was worried I wasn't even going to be able to record because my throat was just like super sore. And then I ended up coming home to New Jersey because, you know, originally I'm from, well, I'm originally I'm from New Jersey, but I live in DC now. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to take the train. I'm going to write this script on the train. I have all my sources. I was ready to go. I get on the train and the guy behind me talks the entire time. It was so distracting. It was a whole thing. I, and in the midst of all of this, I, um, I'm like, I need to get this done because I cannot wait to tell you guys this story this week. And through everything, visiting my family, my boyfriend, my boyfriend's family, even getting food poisoning, which occurred today, I am pushing through and I am so looking forward to telling you this story that you may or may not be familiar with. So without further ado, let's get into the show. The Holiday Inn Express in Northeast DC isn't really known for much. Located on 1917 Bladensburg Road, I've actually driven past it a couple times. It's close to the New York Avenue Metro and it's suggested to be a place where tourists can stay. Not an area that I'd really prefer to be in, but it gets the job done, like most Holiday Inns. A place described to offer entertainment for the whole family with a complimentary hot breakfast, a 24-hour fitness center, and an indoor heated pool or whirlpool. The building is your basic hotel. Pretty tall, large windows that look like they could be for an office high-rise. A long, round driveway where Ubers and taxis can drop off families. Or for packing and parking your TV. A place where Corollas and Pontiacs can pull in, you get the gist. There isn't much to this hotel, and thus it's not surprising that its cameras are low-grade, grainy quality. However, they also get the job done. And in this case, on Wednesday, February 26th, 2014, Camera 06 was able to pick up footage of a man, about five foot nine, and a little girl walking down a hallway with a basic pattern carpet beneath them and white walls, with hotel rooms all closed on either side. The pair are walking nonchalantly. The man has a blue plastic bag in his right hand and the young girl is swinging her own plastic bag between either sides. She looks about eight or nine. And if you were to see this film, maybe just sitting in the security office, you could assume it was a father and daughter. Maybe they're here on vacation or visiting for the weekend. The little girl is wearing a dark purple or blue sweatshirt and pink boots. The older man is in khaki pants and a black zip up jacket. The pair stepped out of frame and then returned back a few seconds later. That's when they turned right and the man pulled out a key card. He pressed it against the doorknob, fiddles a bit, 
and opens the door. He makes his way inside with the young girl trailing behind. A normal video, nothing out of the ordinary, except the girl is eight-year-old Relisha Rudd, and the man that she's with is not her father, but 51-year-old Khalil Tatum, a janitor working at the homeless shelter that she was living in. This was the final footage of her, and the fate of Khalil is even more disturbing. This is the case of the disappearance of Relisha Rudd. Let's exit the Holiday Inn for a moment and start from the beginning. 2014, Washington, D.C. is similar to your average metropolitan area. During this time, I personally was a sophomore in college at Howard University. I spent my time on campus, and when I was off, I was exploring the city. There are your popular areas, Northwest and Capitol Hill, where the young, white 20-somethings grab beers in their Calvin Klein suits. There's U Street, one of the most popular bar streets in the city. I won't even bother telling you about the bars over there. All the good ones are closed. R.I.P. Marvin and Velvet Lounge. There's Chevy Chase, where every person over 50 lives. There's DuPont Circle, a great place to grab brunch and gallery place. Your second tourist attraction after the White House and every Smithsonian ever. D.C. is a great city, America's microphone. But just like every city, it comes with its problems. The first being that gentrification is running rampant. More than the rats that pop up every summer. It is spreading everywhere. Apartment complexes are super expensive. You are forced to pay like $2,000 just to live in a 400 square foot box. It really depends on where you live that impacts the chances of having a nice space, good schools, and access to decent grocery stores and restaurants. DC is broken out by four quadrants, Northwest, Northeast, Southwest, and Southeast. Most of the expensive areas with way too many dog parks and glass buildings or brownstones with multiple flags in the front lawn are usually found in Northwest or Southwest. Northeast and Southeast are more impoverished areas. But as quadrants are gentrified, these low-income areas are essentially bought out by rich, let's be honest, white people, They buy up a ton of property and buy out families that have been there forever. Then replace them with a Starbucks, Chipotle, Whole Foods, and apartments with rooftop pools in them. Lower income areas are usually separated by wards as well. There's wards three and four that is known for having the best schools and opportunities to raise a family. And there's ward seven and eight that has garnered a reputation for crime and poverty. These areas are more frequent to have low-income families and are one of the only areas that haven't become fully gentrified by the city. Thus, the result is less police enforcement, support for schools, and most areas have a food desert. You can get to a liquor store before you get to groceries. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I believe in stating the obvious. 
Relisha Rudd was not from the Northwest area of DC. Her life wasn't easy. And some of the facts, the slowness with her case, it's going to shock you. But it will make you question. If she were from a different area, would the response to her have been, well, different? Relisha Rudd was living in Northeast DC at the time at the DC General Shelter. It has since been closed, but before that, it was an apartment-style shelter with about two beds per room. Families are given sheets and blankets, soap, lotion, and a few other donated toiletries upon arrival. The shelter used to be a hospital and was converted into a full-time shelter. There is a park built outside that actually came after Relisha's disappearance. The shelter is in the middle of a roundabout. On one side sits Washington, D.C.'s regular city life. On the other side sits Washington, D.C.'s jail. Room 544 is where Relisha lives with her mother and younger brothers. At the time, she was eight years old. There was a playroom with toys Relisha enjoyed playing with. There were lots of families in the shelter and other kids Relisha got to grow up with. Relisha was born October 29th, 2005. She stood at about four feet with pretty dark brown hair that usually was in braids. She had a cute button nose and a sweet smile. She had brown skin and brown eyes. She was your average eight or nine-year-old. She weighed about 80 pounds and she loved her family. She went by a little mama and enjoyed things that normal little girls like. To play outside, she liked Disney and was a princess for Halloween. Dress up was one of her favorite pastimes. Relisha and her family were living in the homeless shelter for about a year. The shelter was huge with as many as 600 children that lived there at a time. It was easy to build somewhat of a community which honestly, Shamika Young, Relisha's mom, was probably grateful for. She was young and trying to figure out how to provide for her children. The shelter was helpful, but it wasn't a permanent option. In all honesty, it was rightfully closed. It was infested with rodents, and Relisha would often ask to stay with aunts and her grandmother. During this time, Relisha tried to have as much normalcy as possible. She went to Payne Elementary School, where she was a second grader. Relisha and her family hadn't had it easy, and it showed. Her school administrators had been put on the radar about Relisha's living history. The family were accustomed to evictions from apartments, weeks at motels, and the current residents of the shelter. Shamika had three other sons who all lived in the one bedroom with she and Relisha. Felicia had dreams. She did cheerleading, where the coach would often help wash her up in the restroom in school. There were clean clothes kept for her on hand. She was eager to be a part of after-school programs, but often was absent from them, both at the school and the shelter. Social workers responded to at least three reports of abuse or neglect within the family, and police had been called a couple times prior to the family moving into the shelter. They say it takes a village. Many family members helped Shamika where they could. 
Relisha had a few caregivers that looked after her, including cousins, aunts, and in the recent months, Khalil Tatum, the 51-year-old custodian who worked at the shelter. Shamika was young. She was 27 with four kids, and it couldn't have been easy. She grew up in shelters from 6 to 18, and about a year later, became a mom to Relisha. Sometimes I wish my mother didn't have me, and sometimes I wonder how many people want to see me dead. And sometimes I wonder why I have kids, and sometimes I wonder why the world is the way it is, she wrote. I wonder who I am, is what she was quoted saying. Shamika was doing the best she could with what she had. When I first heard this case, I villainized her, honestly. I thought she wasn't careful. But four children under eight, multiple evictions, trouble holding a steady job, it's enough to really feel like you're drowning. That might be why Khalil Tatum felt like a helping hand. The two met in 2005. They got along quickly. He was old enough to be Shamika's dad at the time. When she had her daughter, Khalil was supportive. As Relisha got older, Khalil was considered her goddaddy. He would take her to sleepovers at his house where his own grandkids who were around her age would attend. He took her to Disney events, movies, and even bought her a tablet. It isn't clear who Relisha's actual father was, but her half-brother's father, Antonio, said that he never noticed anything odd about Khalil. Her aunts had his number and he had been employed as a janitor at the very shelter that Relisha was residing. Things were going well, until they weren't. See, around February, Relisha was a magnet at school. But she hadn't been in attendance, and people noticed. Administrators tried calling to no avail. On February 25th, when Relisha received her fifth unexcused absence, the staff decided to have a parent-teacher conference scheduled for March 5th. See, DC absences go like this. If you miss a number of consecutive days, you will either be put out or the ability to call Child Protective Services becomes available. Shamika knew the severity of this and explained that a lot of the excuses prior to the unexcused had been because of Dr. Tatum. See, Dr. Tatum would call and explain that Relisha wasn't feeling well and that she wouldn't be in school. And when that stopped, the school realized that Relisha had just kind of disappeared. She hadn't unenrolled. It wasn't shown that she was enrolled in any other schools around D.C. or in Maryland or Virginia. So the question was, where the hell was she? On February 25th, coincidentally, Shamika admitted that she had placed Relisha in Khalil Tatum's care permanently. She explained that she was really trying to get her life together and it just wasn't working out to be able to provide for her and her three other boys. On March 5th, the school had a parent-teacher conference with Shamika and she explained her situation. Relisha was in the care of Khalil Tatum, who was not a doctor, but the janitor at the shelter. So what's going on? Either there are two Tatums in this story or someone is lying. I'm going to let you know right now, it's the latter. There are reports that Relisha had been spotted 
at school on March 5th and March 7th, but there isn't any confirmation via attendance. So her last confirmed sighting was actually March 1st. She hadn't been in school for the remainder of February, but had come back at least on the 1st. Like I mentioned, it's about 10 consecutive unexcused absences that cause note for alarm that the child hasn't been accounted for. On March 10th, school officials called Mr. Tatum and said he needed to provide a medical reason and documentation for Relisha not being in school. Dr. Tatum said he was treating Relisha for some sort of error, logical problems, and he was going to discharge her by the end of next week. However, more unexcused absences began to build, and although her younger brothers continued to go to school, on March 13th, she reached her 10th unexcused absence. It isn't clear what the conversations were like between Khalil Tatum and Shamika Young. However, when authorities were brought in, they asked Shamika, where exactly is her daughter? She continued with this lie that Dr. Tatum was at a medical conference in Atlanta and they'd left together on March 8th and she had no idea when they would be back, but that she talked to her as recently as March 17th. All calls to Khalil Tatum went directly to voicemail, and Shamika refused to file a police report, still going with the story that her daughter was safe. So the question is, why would Shamika go on with this lie that Khalil Tatum is a doctor? Well, the obvious being that she had given her daughter to a grown man and also had no clear idea where her daughter was. But the second question is, did she even know who Khalil Tatum was? Khalil Tatum was a lot of things, but a doctor is not one of them. We know for a fact that Mr. Tatum was working as a janitor at DC General. On all accounts, that's where he met Relisha's family. However, according to Shamika, they knew Khalil since Relisha was very young. The 51-year-old, from what we know, was born and raised in the DC area. He looked... Well, I don't really have anything special about him. He had medium brown skin, a receding hairline. He occasionally wore glasses and kept a pretty stern, simple face. Khalil Tatum is the epitome of someone that blends into the crowd. And maybe that's why people were so comfortable around him. Shamika's boyfriend, Antoine, never found an issue, or her sister. And he never really had to go through any trials or tribulations in order to get his current job as a janitor at the shelter. He was married to Andrea Kelly. The couple had been together for a while, living in Maryland. Except she had a daughter named Alexis, and it isn't clear who Alexis's father is. Apparently, Khalil had been around for years, though, at least since Alexis was young. He and Andrea got along very well, and they had a loving relationship, according to family members. However, a lot of people say, though they enjoyed Khalil Tatum, they thought he was affectionate and decent. Something about him was just not 100% real. And maybe that may be because he was hiding something. A criminal past. He'd been incarcerated at for a number of reasons, for a total of 17 years, in the 90s and then again in the early 2000s. And yet, you could never tell. 
He actually had history of drug abuse and marrying Andrea didn't change any of that. The two had their struggles, yet they were able to make it to 21 years of marriage. However, Khalil still kept this weird reputation. Half of his peers knew him as someone that was friendly and decent, while the other half always felt like something was just slightly off. He didn't, like, act weird, but he was known for getting comfortable and cozy and communicative with younger girls. And I'm talking child age. And some people thought it was just friendly, lending a helping hand, while others didn't really sit right with the notion. The dictionary defines grooming as the action by a pedophile of preparing a child for a meeting, especially via internet chat room. A power arrangement or an in-person power arrangement with the intention of committing a sexual offense. Though Khalil was never arrested for sexual assault or harassment or pedophilia of a minor, there are some confusing concerns about what his intentions truly are. Like the fact that he lived with his wife, Andrea, apparently they had this loving marriage, yet when it was time to put Relisha into his custody, they never came home. The first footage of Relisha was on February 26th, that grainy hallway footage I talked about in the beginning. That's at a hotel. Why didn't they just go home? Why wasn't he with Andrea? And why wasn't Relisha around other kids? Why was it just she and him? In fact, Relisha was taken to two motels in late February and March, including the Holiday Inn on March 1st, which is the last time she's seen on camera. On March 19th, Relisha was officially reported as missing. There was clear evidence that Khalil was not in Atlanta, and it isn't clear where he was or where Relisha was, but Shamika was of zero help. So, March 19th, police knew it was time to seriously get involved. The day actually started off pretty normal for people like Antonio and Melissa. Antonio, Shamika's boyfriend, wasn't exactly foreign to police. He'd grown up with nine other siblings in foster care, and in some ways he bonded with Shamika over a troubled upbringing. For example, when he was 12, his two-year-old sister was killed by his mother's boyfriend, and he knew it wasn't easy to trust people. So, as he stood on the front steps of the D.C. shelter, lighting a cigarette, he watched as police pulled up and began searching for Shamika. The social worker at Payne Elementary said it was time to file an official report with no response from Khalil and no movement from Shamika. Relisha Rudd was in danger. It is unclear who called Melissa, Shamika's mother. In fact, I hadn't mentioned her much in the story. But she struggled herself, and the result of that was a tumultuous relationship with Shamika. She had her own mental health issues that probably stemmed from having to essentially raise herself. It's a vicious cycle, is what I'm getting at. And the one bit of light that these people had in their lives was their children, even if those children ended up being traumatized themselves. Relisha was supposed to go to Girl Scouts, Melissa said. She had finally remembered her granddaughter being... So excited to be signed up 
And whenever she was over at the house, she played with Melissa's cat. Melissa wanted to take care of Relisha full time, but Shamika was the mom and she could only do so much. So once hearing that her grandchild had been missing for a month and had not been to school consecutively and had been put in the care of a man who she was familiar with, but did not necessarily know well, Khalil Tatum, her heart sank. Antonio and Melissa were questioned along with Shamika, and the stories all kind of stayed the same. Antonio didn't know much about what happened to his girlfriend's daughter outside of the fact that she'd been given to Khalil Tatum to be taken care of. And in a way, it kind of made sense. Antonio spent much of his time in that same room with his two sons that he shared with Shamika, plus Shamika's other son. And really, it was cramped and dirty and uncomfortable. And having a bit more space kind of made sense. Melissa knew about Shamika's situation and was sometimes there to witness it herself. She also knew that sometimes the kids would go with Shamika's sister and sometimes they would stay with Melissa. And of course, there was Khalil Tatum. One thing that Melissa and Antonio could agree on is that Relisha always came back. If she spent the night at a cousin's and aunt's with their grandmother, or if she was with Mr. Tatum, she always returned. Well, until she didn't. Police knew they didn't have to do much searching. There wasn't really any other suspects to consider. There weren't any enemies or any creepy suspects that needed to be questioned. There was only one person that had full control of Relisha outside of her mother, and that was Khalil Tatum, the same person who lied about being a doctor, had a criminal history, a reputation for being fake or having an interesting relationship with young girls, the only person who was caught on camera twice with this little girl, anywhere but the home with Andrea Kelly, his wife, and finally, the man who wasn't answering anyone's phone calls. So the question was, where was he? If they couldn't get to Khalil, the obvious answer was finding his wife, Andrea Kelly. Looking at her picture now, you can't help but smile. You wouldn't imagine that Khalil was such a sinister person or that the two had gone through their own trials and tribulations full of drug abuse and poverty, like I mentioned prior. In fact, there were so many people that spoke so lovingly about Andrea, her having friends and family, including Khalil, who posted a photo of the two of them celebrating their 21 years of marriage. She was wearing all pink and had bangs and a short cut, sitting slightly on his lap with her hand against his chest, smiling boldly. Yes, Andrea could lead us to Khalil. However, police found that she would be unable to do so, as she was actually located in an Oxen Hills motel, shot in the head. I know. I know it seems like I'm jumping and you have no idea where all this is coming from. But it didn't take police long to figure out that she'd been murdered by none other than Khalil Tatum himself. It was a day into the official launch of the investigation of Relisha. 
Andrea's body was found draped over the bed face down with a gunshot wound to the head. This was clearly done execution style and police quickly retrieved footage and what they found shocked them. Khalil Tatum entered the motel and walked down the hallways where he entered the room where Andrea was now laying lifeless. He was there the night before and was the last person to be seen in or out of the motel room. Police knew their number of one suspect for murder was Khalil. The question was why? There are rumors that Andrea had once been, well, dissatisfied with her marriage and was actually in the process of pursuing a divorce. The question is, why was she at that motel? Andrea had spoken to a family member and explained that she was in bed, settled in for the evening, and had promised to come by to babysit her grandchildren the next day. This was at about 6 p.m. on March 19th. The very next morning, Andrea was found dead. Did Andrea know anything about Relisha's disappearance? Was she expecting Khalil that day? At the time, Andrea was working at the Glorious Health Club, a gay establishment in Northeast that rents rooms for cheap at about $10 a day. Most people that knew her considered her a friend. They also knew that she had a friend named Wills. Now, I don't know much about Wills, but I need to give you a little bit of background information. Wills had been around about as long as Khalil had. Rumors began to swirl that Andrea had feelings for both Khalil and Wills. So the question is, was this something that was planned by Khalil? Did he know about the emotional affair and was fed up and decided to murder Andrea? Or did this have something to do with Relisha's disappearance? Court documents say that the couple had actually checked into the Red Roof Inn in Oxen Hills at 10.04 p.m. The Red Roof Inn is incredibly cringy. I stayed there one night, not at this exact hotel, but just at a Red Roof, and it was like the scariest experience of my life. I would not recommend. But by the time you check in, you're kind of kept on your own. People aren't really looking out for you. There isn't much of a concierge desk. Three people apparently accompanied the couple, but left about 90 minutes later. And then after that, it was just Khalil that was seen entering and leaving the motel room. I need to focus on Andrea just a little bit. Because when I researched this case, it's always been about Relisha, which is important. It should be. She's a child and she disappeared and something about Khalil is not right. But he had this wife, Andrea. She attended McKinley Tech High School. She was a loving mother and grandmother and the unity of love praised Temple Church in Southeast where her funeral was held apparently had hundreds of people show up. Though she had her struggles with drugs, she had been sober and was working. She volunteered with her church and helped the homeless. Andrea was a good person. And I don't believe that she had anything to do with Relisha's disappearance. Which is why this murder is so confusing. It isn't clear if Andrea just knew too much or if Khalil fell back into a corner. And unfortunately, we will never know. Khalil Tatum was officially on the run and a warrant was out for his arrest. Police issued a citywide alert that made headlines. Khalil had killed Andrea. That much was obvious. But 
the concern now was where is Relisha? She was left in his care and he was seen on camera visiting Andrea alone. People searched the Holiday Inn hotel room where Khalil and Relisha were staying, as well as the room where Andrea was found. The extensive hunt revealed some incriminating evidence and footage that may answer some questions as to what happened to Relisha. The day after checking into the Holiday Inn, Khalil had purchased lye and a 42-gallon trash bags. There was then footage of him visiting the Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens. This indicated disposal of something and a bag that was clearly large enough to fit or hold the body of a small child. Police launched a huge search of the park for Relisha's remains. They had dogs and searchers come in, but there was nothing. And for a while, things kind of went quiet. As Andrea had her funeral planned and the family still continued to keep Relisha's name in the news amongst the community, Khalil Tatum was still missing. That is until March 31st. Authorities searched the park once again, and that's when they discovered in a park shed Khalil Tatum's body. He was found dead with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. There was not a note. There wasn't any hints that he'd been with anyone else in that shed. The only link was that the gun found next to him was the one used to kill his wife, Andrea. After discovering the body of Khalil Tatum, I wish I could tell you that shortly after that, something of Relisha was found. Outside of the evidence that some sort of disposal products were purchased, Relisha has not been accounted for. Khalil's suicide had essentially frozen the case. There were no other suspects. He was the last person to be seen with Relisha. And the last time anyone had heard from him was honestly March 1st, like a real answer. And as we know, those products were purchased around that time too. It's been eight years since Relisha disappeared and many people believe that Khalil Tatum was involved. But some people also believe that he wasn't alone in this. Shamika Young made a lot of mistakes, especially when it came to her daughter's disappearance. She lied about Khalil's involvement with her child and was zero help after the fact. Shamika Young actually made an appearance on the Steve Wilkos show. If you aren't familiar, the show is kind of like a Jerry Springer meets Dr. Phil type of situation. However, she didn't really get a fair chance to speak. Antonio and Melissa confronted her on stage. The audience laughed and cheered and pretty much, for a lack of a word, better word, shit on her entire <laughs> her entire existence. They booed Shamika off the stage. They had no remorse. They let her have it. Even Steve Wilkos concluded that he believed Shamika was a bad mother. And the truth is, with lack of knowledge on what happened to Relisha, there really isn't much of a conclusion to be made. There are scenarios that Shamika could have sold her daughter to Khalil, or that she could have even asked Khalil to take Relisha off her hands permanently. 
I mean, there's so much that you can assume, and at this point, I don't really have a conclusion for you. Photo progression shows what Relisha would look like now. She'd actually be a teenager. Since her disappearance, there was a park that was built in her honor by the shelter, but eventually the shelter closed. Isn't clear what happened to Shamika's other children. But by the discomfort in the relationship between her mother and Antonio, at the time, it's probably fair to believe that she may not even have custody of them. However, Relisha's case highlights some really important facts. The first is that we spend years going over cases like John Bonet Ramsey and the Maura Murray disappearance, the awful murder of Lacey Peterson. However, this young black girl was absent from school for more than 30 days. She was missing for 20 of those days and no one said a thing, not even her own mother. The shelter that she was living in had a community partnership with a nonprofit agency that was being paid $13 million a year to run the shelter. And as we know, it was closed down because of vermin running rampant and crime. Families that were up to five people were living in a room with two beds, probably the size of your bathroom. Relisha became popular on Amber Alert, an alert system that is mainly used for the disappearance of young white children. And the worst part about it is that Relisha is one of many. There are so many kids of color that go missing. We literally can look up the DC Metropolitan Police Department website. I do it monthly. There's always someone that's gone missing or been murdered and the case sits unsolved. And don't get me wrong, this isn't completely going on a tirade about the police. It's our community. It's our society as a whole that's to blame. We need to care. Relisha loved to cheerlead. She wanted to be a Girl Scout. She loved princesses. She had a tablet that she took everywhere. She had a great smile and she had a grandmother and aunt who loved her dearly. And she was stuck in this system. A system where she was getting bathed in a sink at her elementary school just because a teacher noticed that she wasn't clean. There is a bigger issue here and a scarier one. It's resulted in an 8-year-old girl going missing and a 50-year-old couple being dead by a murder-suicide that has left more questions than answers. Shamika Young can be vilified. She lied to the police. She has gone from crying, wishing her daughter was here, to hiding from the public, saying that it isn't her fault. And it's easy to be upset with her. And of course, to hate Khalil Tatum and whatever his sinister plan was, is understandable. But the bigger thing that we need to do is notice the flawed system where young kids are in a shelter pretty much being overlooked with small funds and can literally go missing. Where a janitor can call and say that he's a doctor to a school and that's just kind of accepted. We have a lot of work to do, and in the meantime, the first thing we can do is pay attention to these cases. The family still hopes to get the ultimate answers on where Relisha is, whether she was able to get away or she met her demise in that hotel room. And all we can do is hope that as time goes on, 
eventually we'll find out the truth usually when i wrap this up i have my own write-up of the article um on my website however there's been so much information that i was given with this case thankfully there are so many sources which is kind of a rarity and so in this case i'm going to give the list of all of them on my website you should take a look Read the Washington Post articles, the Medium article. There's so much more information on this case, and I couldn't fit it all into one episode. So please, as you go, look at the pictures of beautiful Relisha and the locations that I've mentioned in the story today. Take some time to read the articles for yourself. The more that you know, the better. As always, check out my website, IvanaEstelle.com. That's where you can reach me for comments, questions, suggestions. I also don't mention this, but my Let Me Humble You blog is on there for an easier read about self-care, self-awareness. And I also have older episodes from before I uh, officially started this podcast. And so if you ever like need a fix and you can't wait till next week, you can always listen to one of those. They're pretty good. Um, check my Instagrams out at Ivana Estelle, that's with one N, and also Ivana Estelle True Crime, as well as it's the same handle for my TikTok. And I think that pretty much covers it. Thank you again for sitting through this with me. I hope, I still feel like I, you can hear a little bit of my cold, so I hope that wasn't too distracting. And I will see you all next week. Safe journey. Keep walking in the light. Until next time, with love, Ivana Estelle.